Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where our goal is to help you find health and community through movement. I'm Molly Herford, a writer, coach, and yoga teacher. And I'm Peter Glassford, an endurance coach and kinesiologist. Every week, we're talking to athletes and experts who can help you lead your best active, adventurous life. Whether you're a gravel racer, a marathon runner, or you just got out on your first bike ride yesterday, we're here cheering you on. You can also visit us online at consummateathlete.com for coaching information and training tips, nutrition advice, yoga flows, bike skills, and more. And now, let's get into this week's episode hello hello welcome back to the consummate athlete podcast peter how's it going it's going well yeah we've been riding more we got our local trails are, are slow to dry we're in sort of the mountain and uh area of ontario if you will uh mountain is an extreme quotation marks yeah, yeah uh so finally those trails got opened up they're very clay based and rocky and up on the uh escarpment so at, at altitude if you will yes, uh, yes. And 250 <laughs> meters in the air yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I was actually just saying I was running those trails as well yesterday while Peter was out riding. I was like, ah, finally, like, dr- like I came back and I wasn't completely drenched. My shoes were actually like not disgusting. It was great. It smells like spring. Yes. Uh, it doesn't quite feel like it yet, but we're getting there. Uh, and you have actually had sort of more of a consistent uh, couple training weeks here versus your... You're more, I'm not going to say sporadic approach to training you're always training, but... I would say you've been a lot more um, specific with your training lately. I think so. And that's, you know, as the trails open up, it's easier to be specific, I guess, as well. Um, But I'm sort of easing into this season. I I did register for our national championships, which is about three months away. Uh, And so, yeah, now I'm starting to go through interval progressions and and riding the mountain bike more and testing tires. And I have tire inserts. So there's that whole side of the cross-country world. Uh, So trying to get caught up on on the tech side as well. Well, and I think you... You kind of had a, you've had a bit of like a physician heal thyself sort of challenge without having like a specific training plan for a while now, but you actually finally came, came out and figured out your, your three months to nationals training plan. And actually, uh, people can actually access that as one of our pre-made training plans uh, mm-hmm. over on our site or over on training peaks. We have the XEO mountain bike three month training plan, and it's designed to get to uh, Canadian nationals if you're starting it now, but I think U.S. mountain bike nationals are right around the same time as well, or really, any, yeah, any big... any peak cross-country Olympic, you know, the shorter of the cross-country mountain bikes, so probably up to three hours you would be fine with this. Um, but this is, you know, we've, we have these build plans for most of the disciplines, gravel, cyclocross, whatever, so this is updated and, and is indeed, I'm going to follow it, you know, pretty much to the T. I'll add in some running, of course, because uh, I'm going to do a couple of run races as well, but uh, that's, that's, yeah, that's the plan of the month, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, so if you want to get that, you can go over to consummateathlete.com and check out training plans. It's also a recent blog post, uh, or you can just go to Training Peaks and search Peter Glassford, or you can just go to the show notes where we'll have the link to that. Uh, We also have the link to three months to Leadville because that is also coming up. Coming up. Yeah, not quite three months. It's you know early August, but uh, you probably want to get started <laughs> early. It's a long way. So uh, there you go. We have the usually I do a big one that starts in January for Leadville. So this is the three month if you haven't started onto the plan yet. This is again, more of a build for Leadville. Uh, and then I always get a common question with these is people like the sounds of this, but they're not doing Leadville. Uh, so they want to do it. But this one, the Leadville one ends on the event day. So we do also have a build for 100 milers and for marathon mountain bike if you go around in my plans page. So we'll link to the Training Peaks plans and then those specific two plans in the show notes if you want to check them out. Awesome. Uh, so that kind of leads neatly into today's topic, which is race if you're going to race. So we have sort of three main main 
questions, topics around this concept. Right. Very popular right now because of, you know, race season coming back and everyone, I think maybe more so because people are a little nervous coming back into the 2022 race season. Yeah. And I mean, I'll say I saw this when I was managing a cyclocross team. I saw this when I was writing about cyclocross. I've seen it uh, with everyone I know who runs uh, this, this concept of race. If you're going to race in short is just, if you are planning to be on the start line of a race, you should be trying your damnedest to win. And obviously not everyone is going to be racing for the win, but whatever win means to you, whether that means just finishing the darn thing, uh, whether it means you know finishing with a time that you're proud of, whether it means finishing in the top 10, actually winning the thing, uh, whatever it is, going in with the intention of giving it your best shot. Um, shoot your shot, as my, my coach David Roche would say. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think the mentality that I see so often, and I've seen it with elites, I've seen it with amateurs, I've seen it with beginners, I've seen it with people who've been racing for 30 years, is this odd thing of going into a race and either pre-setting up your excuses of like, oh, I had bad sleep, or oh, my training's been all off lately, oh, I've been sick, oh, the kids have been sick. Just a billion different things that we're pre-excusing, or they're going in with this like, Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna ride to the race and then ride home from the race. So I'm gonna be tired during the race, or I need to have some energy to get the hundred miles home after the race. Um, or like, oh yes, I've decided this is my training race, so I'm not really taking it that seriously. Uh, and sometimes, sometimes these are fake excuses, and in the back of their heads, people are like, I am gonna rip legs off mm-hmm, today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of this weird like it's like a head game they're playing on someone else. Yeah, exactly. Right? Um, But then a lot of the time it actually is this, I think, fear-based thing of like, what happens if I actually try and I don't do the thing that I wanted to do? I don't win. I don't finish. I don't hit the time that I wanted. Uh, That's that's a scary thing of like actually attempting to do something that you might not be able to do. But that's, I mean, that's the whole point of racing. That's the whole point of life. (laughs) Right. And and I think I always look, think back, there's that study... Uh, we haven't talked about it for years now, but the one where I think they gave them like, I don't know if it was a Saved by the Bell or some shirt that they thought wasn't cool. And I was like, I would wear a Saved by the Bell shirt. But, it, you know, imagine a shirt that isn't cool and they make you walk into this room. And so and then they would ask the person wearing the the funny shirt, you know, do you think everyone like how many of the people were looking at you? And, and most people would say something like, you know, 80 or 90 percent were looking at me and they were so, you know, they were judging me. And then they would ask the people in the room, like, do you remember anyone wearing a shirt or like what was on the shirt? And I think it was like 10% of the people had any recollection that there was some sort of shirt. So the study gets at this idea that most people are just thinking about themselves. You know, they want the best for you. Like there's not people who are trolling, you know, hopefully that are trolling your results to see, you know, when you don't have your best race versus, you know, having a good race. Yeah. No one really cares. And I think with, there's two things. There's, that's sportsmanship. I think number one is that, you know, there's lots of people in the race. Only one person gets to win or have their, you know, and not everyone can have a PB. Uh, but there's also just the the fact that like in the practice of, of racing or, or the game of racing, I like Kevin Field is a Canadian uh, coach, you know, uh, he works with Cycling Canada and does a lot of, he's big in the road. He's worked in road. Uh, I'll try and link uh, Cycling 
magazine what's this canadian can- cycling can- magazine did that Moneyball <laughs> article <laughs> they called him the money ball of cycling i don't think that he calls himself that but uh he talks a lot about like the game of cycling especially road cycling right you can see how there's a strategy and tactics and there's people you know it's sure. almost like a chess game if you get into it but him and i have had a few discussions around mountain biking you know off-road cycling and there's a game no different right how do you get points how do you get on the start line the start's important it's you have to go irrationally hard on the start uh there's all the skills that tie into the tactics but there's when you attack how you spend your energy there's all sorts of tactics that go into these games and and at the heart of it is that you can't practice the game unless you're in the actual game there isn't really swift is not the same it's you know someday maybe we'll have virtual simulations but it's not the same all the skills required to ride in a group are not the same I'm sorry. I'm just picturing like the Zwift pod in 2040 when you actually like get into it and you have like elbows being thrown at you from the walls of it and like all of this stuff. So when we get into the game, we need to embrace it and, and practice and not every race needs to be quote unquote a win, whatever a win is for you. It doesn't need to be your best, but you need to finish the race to know how the race went and and to make another choice in the, the subsequent game. Yeah. And you actually just mentioned sportsmanship. And to me, it's actually like a huge mark of good sportsmanship to show up and, and give it your best effort and not like phone it in or not kind of put up these excuses or whatever like your your competitors deserve your your full focus sure too. and we spoke about i think nino uh not winning a world cup for three years yeah since 2018 um not that he didn't win a race but he didn't win the world cup which is his focus world cup mountain biking he's not he doesn't really do other disciplines uh so he didn't win but he kept coming to the race and he didn't just drop out of the race when he didn't win. Like he was sprinting, you know, in a lot of cases and failing. And then, you know, people could call him old. People could say he's washed up. I'm sure some people did, but he kept coming back. Uh, and then we also saw, is it, I'm going to mispronounce her name, but Luana, is that it? Luana? Luana? Think, yeah. Luana Lacombe. There you go. So she's uh, one of the top, she won lots. I think she won world championships for cross country mountain bike last year. Uh, very impressive rider, but she, in this last World Cup, uh, which was in Brazil, so she was off the front to start and then ended up, you know, just racing for eighth or sixth or not not on the podium, I don't think. Uh, but she kept racing, right? And, and again, how embarrassing. She didn't win. She always wins. And in that case, you could see someone pulling off and either like going like, oh, my bike is doing something weird or like, oh, I like hurt myself and I'm like not feeling well. We have stories like there's a guy who raced well, most of the time I was racing and like legitimately pulled over and like flatted his own tires. I have I remember thinking like a lot of times during my like bike racing (laughs) career that like I wish I just carried a tack in my pocket just to like stab my own tires when I'm having a rough day. So that's getting a little afield where we should take advantage of the race. We should be sportsmen to finish the race when we start it. But and okay, that's all saying like within reason. Like if you do get hurt or if something goes, you know, horribly awry, like if you hit your head, please don't finish the race. Mm -hmm. Like this is Mm -hmm. this is all like assuming that you are healthy and like not concussed or really hurt certainly certainly um sorry with that caveat in mind go ahead yeah and there's probably some rules in that direction right like when you crash if there's dirt on your helmet i think is sometimes you know a rough rule of thumb you know if if you are really you know that's fine like that's crashing that's crashing but again some of that then exposes what we would have to work on in training you know because (laughs) of the crash as well and you only found that out by racing uh, so, so again, it's trying to get there. So the concept, this, you know, I'm, I almost want to make it one of our tenants, but we're not quite there, 
but race if you're going to race. So we sign up. We haven't talked about signing up, but there's, you know, going into the race and trying your hardest. Finishing is, is implicit in this, that you finish the race. So race if you're going to race. The race means that you finish. The only way out is the finish line. We talked about that last week, I think, right? I think so, yeah. Um, we're careful with the mental tricks that we play on ourselves and maybe on others in case we uh, internalize them. Uh, you know, yeah, I'd also, you know what, I'm going to just put this in there. Like if you are one of the people who like, even if you struggle to admit it to yourself, if you're one of those people that does this to other people, like the, oh, I haven't slept, I'm going to suck. And you kind of know you're not going to suck. Please stop doing it. Like it's, I don't know. It's, it's like this weird lack of confidence despite being confident. And it's, it's very strange. And I don't know. I just wish people would just embrace like, yeah. I'm going to go out and try to crush it today. And that's that. Well, or, or there's the more passive option too, right? Like you can be quiet and just start the race. It's true. Well. That's, that's also an option. I'm yeah. not saying like, look around the start line and be like, I'm going to crush all of you just so you know, but just, I don't know. Like I, I wish we were just more honest about how we were feeling. Mm-hmm. So we have that. So then stepping back from actually getting, you know, the event day, the race, if you're going to race concept for me uh, applies to, planning the race into the schedule. And, and this does include sort of the long, uh, you know, big jumbo rides we do, uh, you know, these rides maybe over five or six hours that are becoming pretty extreme as far as the risk, as far as the recovery needs, how long you're going to be fatigued after. And, and we can probably argue a bit, oh, is it five hours? Is it four hours? Is it seven hours? It probably depends on the person and their age and their training status. But when it starts getting big, uh, sometimes you'll see like over 300 TSS, if that means anything to you, like just a big day, a lot bigger than normal, you're out all day, then we have to treat that, I think, like a race as well. And so we plan this and we plan the recovery around it uh, and we commit to it, right? It's like that's on the calendar and we can then plan our training before and after accordingly, right? We maybe don't book a race the week, you know, the week after the big race, maybe if it's the big race, uh, we maybe have B races in the weeks before so that we're getting ready as well. B or whatever races, you know, less important races. But the key thing is that we don't decide on Monday to race on Sunday. There's, right. there's exceptions, but again, this, the racing concept, like I like to be ready, have the equipment ready, have the mindset ready, be a little nervous and show up. Um, and all of this has exceptions, but I think you just need to <laughs> make sure that not every time you race is an exception. Yeah. No, I like that. So race if you're going to race, that's have, that general concept. We have we... one more though. Oh. I don't know if that's where you're going, but the idea that after the race you're going to train is another one that I apply this to. So, and, and this can be a more elite concept, but also the endurance crowd is big on this that like their 10k running race wasn't enough right they need to do another 50k after the 10k race because it, it that's not a ride that's not a run the run has to be 60 kilometers or something right you insert the rule and the sport but I, I think you probably are a person like this or you know a person like this where just because it's a short race you know oh i have to go do more after and that could be true you know elites will sometimes train after a race to get enough load because it's already a hard day. They add more load. I think you have to be careful that you've been able to really focus on the race, get what you need out of the race, you know, play the game of the race. If you haven't won the race, sometimes that's a good like reminder that maybe you need to, you know, if you're close to winning, I I made this mistake a lot of my career where we just always so focused on training and never the game, like the game was just never there. So I have a lot of seconds and thirds and podiums in my life, but not a lot of wins. And I think it, you know, I know it was because of 
stupid stuff like that, like training into a race or training out of a race. Uh, yeah. You know, and then that, and that even just like, why are we as adults going to races? Well, it should be, you know, for most of us, I think there, I shouldn't say should, but for most of us, there is a social component. We've been wanting to get back to seeing friends at races and having a beer after the race, like have a beer after the race. I was just going to say, we have on our wall our four consummate athlete, uh, the four C's uh, and community is one of them. And if we're, if we're kind of skipping the community element just so we can continue to train, then we're, we're sort of missing the whole point of like why we're showing up to begin with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, side note about short races, like, holy crap, I would say, I and I genuinely mean this, I think a 5K is as hard or harder than a 100 miler. Mm-hmm. Like if you are doing it to the absolute, like utmost of your capabilities, like your absolute limits, I genuinely think a 5K is harder. It is, and, and I mean, again, there are exceptions. And if you're a very fit person, like it's not that you can't do it. It's just, you know, what, what are you trying to get out of the day? I guess is what I would ask myself. Uh, and, and that could be it. If you've won five K's and you know, this is just a training race as you build towards a bigger race and it's, you know, essentially an interval in your day, then, then that could be okay. But I, I would just make sure that you're getting, again, if you're looking for some pack running or, you know, a really hard effort, uh, just make sure that you're getting that versus just running, you know, between a start and finish line in a five K some people participate and that that's okay too. But I think when racing's the focus and there's, you know, a performance mindset there, I do think we want to take advantage of these games that we, we get access to. Yeah. And side note, I guess you just mentioned participation. I do think participating for the sake of participating is absolutely fine. As long as like, that's what you're happy with and you're sort of there for the community and you know, the confidence or consistency sure. or whatever you want to call it. If that's like what makes you happy, then that to me, that actually is like absolutely racing. If you're going to race like mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. yeah. Or, or not, I guess, I guess you could also say that I'm treating this as a, a tour or something. And then in which case I can do whatever I want on both sides of it. Uh, and that's completely your perspective too. Right. So I, I guess that would be where maybe you're like, well, it's not necessarily a race for me. Uh, that, that maybe could be a way to use that rule, but not use it. Yeah. I'd say like, the audience we're speaking to with race, if you're going to race are the people who get upset about their performances. It's maybe sure. Like, yeah, that's, that's maybe the best way. Cause I don't even want to say care because I think you can participate and care about your performance. So I think we're talking about the people who get upset about performances that mm-hmm. don't go mm-hmm. the way that and I'll get, they want them to. I'll get pushback sometimes, you know, people will use their age, whatever it is. And this is, <laughs> I can get this at in the thirties up to the, you know, sixties and seventies. I get this comment. Um, but I don't know that that's, again, if you're trying to compete, like I have high 60 year olds who are competing and they're taking it pretty seriously. Uh, and so that's where we get into this discussion of, are you racing the race, right? Are you paying attention to the appropriate cues? Yeah. Yeah. And I think in addition to the age, I think you also get the the busyness and life stuff and all that. And we absolutely understand that. I'd say the bulk of the people we work with are super busy people who have like in addition to a big race, they also have the presentation at work or the thing with their family or whatever that, that also are like equally or way more important. But, sure. and I guess that's a good point. And maybe that's where you were going here is that sometimes the race, if you're going to race means that you're not going to race. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess that's the important pushback is like when you're, when you're wondering and you're wondering and you're sitting on the fence about whether you should race. And then you think maybe you're busy and you haven't asked your family, like, or, or you did ask your family and you're going on vacation the week 
or two weeks before the race, these are a good sign that race, if you're going to race is, is applying where just pick another race, <laughs> you know, do it before the family vacation. Or if you're a tax, uh, preparer, an accountant, if you will, don't do it in April, right? Like just take that off and don't stress on it and then build back up. Same thing for teachers, right? Like you don't have to race in the spring when, you know, as much or as seriously save the, you know, be the, you know, Leadville, August 13th, give yourself a month and a half to get ready. Uh, so that's where this race, if it's going to race, I think that has a lot of its utility for, you know, your busy folks is, can I race this? Can I show up? Or is there a better time to do that? And it, it, again, I think our trick that with constant athlete is that a lot of times it means we don't race a ton. There might be weekly races or, or something like that sprinkled in and those. I think we apply the same rule to ultimately, uh, but they're a little bit more flexible. Yeah. And I think actually, if you go back a couple of weeks, we had Alexei Vermeulen on, and I think he's actually a really good example right now of the like a race, if you're going to race, but then be like the, the racing a little bit less. Um, I know a lot of the, the guys who are focusing on gravel and stuff have already been like two and a half months into racing almost every weekend doing these like hundred mile races, like nearly every weekend. Mm -hmm. And he's done I'd say like 50% of what most of the other guys have done. He's still done plenty of racing, but like compared to the other professional like gravel guys, he's done less and he just smashed the Belgian waffle ride yeah, this past that. week. Yeah. Which is great. Great for him. Yeah. And I don't know, there's a balance there, right? Where the, there's the pro tour world where they race a lot, but I don't know if that's the same as gravel when, you know, the races are longer and harder, there's vibration fatigue and there's, you know, just, there's a lot going on there. You're more individual. You're not, you know, in a pro tour race, you know, not that it's easy, but it's a different beast. That's a huge difference. I mean, first of all, it's teams that are racing. It's not necessarily that the, every individual athlete is racing every single week. So you'd have to look at like the top guys aren't in every race. Well, uh, how much of the race are they racing yeah yeah like road also you have like much more of a pack situation where if you actually look at some of the wattages from the guys who are like mid-pack they're really just chilling in the group a lot of the time also exactly to your point like we you know we had alexi on we talked about what pre-race and post-race and stuff looks like and we know he spends a big chunk of his time basically organizing his season like he has to do all of that solo travel and food prep and all of that stuff by himself he's not on a team that's organizing all of that for him the pro tour guys all they need to do is pedal their bike. And that's and what Nigel was saying when he was on uh, Nigel Mitchell, Mitchell uh, the chef. Uh, he was saying that he goes with, you know, some of these triathletes who are doing, you know, the, going for this sub, was it sub seven hour Ironman is I think the target. They're oh, going dear for. Lord. Um, so he, he was saying that like he goes to prepare the food because a lot of these athletes, you know, they can they're focusing on just the pedaling uh you know or, or i guess the swim run and bike in this case the the training the racing and you know any of these other concepts so with alexi doing you know his own travel and admin and whatever bike mechanics even could be yeah yeah so i, I don't know i don't know the answer there's probably a, where you have to practice the game and get in there and that's maybe where some of these weekly races and practice races do do get in there but again in those practice races we go back to those first concepts with race if you're going to race where you go in and you send it you're not using, you know, your heart rate monitor to keep in a zone or anything like that. You're playing the game uh, as relevant, right? And that's, who, yeah. were we going to talk about heart rate? We or? were going to okay. talk about heart rate. Okay. So that actually leads very neatly into this question. Um, and Peter's been getting a lot from, from clients is this idea of, you know, do I look at my heart rate during the race or where does heart rate 
play in during the race. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I'll maybe start by saying like when I did the, the hundred miler, when I've done pretty much any race, actually, like I cover my watch. Like I don't, I don't look at it when I raced cross, even when I was racing at, we'll say like the highest level I got to, which was like taking it relatively seriously. I didn't even race with a computer on. Sure. So, and this was, sorry, this was your crit racing career or which career are you talking about? Any of my cycling okay. careers. I almost <laughs> never raced with a actual thing on. I think Ironman was the only time I raced with the thing on just so I could see how far I had to go. But sure. even that I didn't have heart rate showing and I didn't have power showing. And it's usually in some sort of pacing strategy In Ironman, you're going to see people use power, um, and, and heart rate to pace. And, and I think anything longer, it probably makes sense, but it's ultimately feeling. I often say with these longer, you know, whether we're talking endurance, tempo, long races, you're probably thinking feeling and heart rate. And then for anything harder interval wise, you know, power and feeling, but that's for training. Whereas in racing, we play the game. So you're going to have to surge, right? A mountain bike race, a cross race, they start super hard. Crit racing you know, I, it, sometimes they start hard, but there's usually a couple of pretty critical moments there where you are just smashing as hard as you can. I but then you, about, but then you could coast the whole last third of the race. Oh yeah. No, I always talk about when I started road racing, the guy on my team, the best piece of advice I ever got was if you start falling off the back of the pack, murder yourself to catch yeah, back on to yeah. the pack. Because once you lose them, the amount of work you will have to do, even just to get to the finish line, is going to be so much more than it would be if you could just stay with the group because it will ease up. And it's crit racing. I've actually just recirculated that out to a few clients who aren't necessarily road racers. We don't really have a lot of road racers in our in our you know group of athletes. But to go and try some like learn to race some you know local crit racing to get some pack skills and to get this going all in is what I call that you know staying on the wheel uh, because you do see it and you've probably been on a group ride where there's an older gentleman usually uh, there's you know what was that lady's name who was just like amazing at crits what was her name Laura Van Gilder and she won like crit nationals until she was I don't want to in her fifties in her fifties smash and criteriums you don't think is like a you know an older person's game it's very aggressive uh you know and and high power like you just hit peaks constantly right on and off and on and off and on and off the best moment of my life was when laura van gilder told me i did well in a sprint Uh, so all that to say, you know, these different disciplines can teach us a lot. So it's, it's really cool to have that, but that's definitely when we talk about a game, some game players are better at playing the game. So Molly is, is, you know, I would say there's lots of things you could improve in cycling, but but you are like that, that one thing of staying on the wheel, like you rarely get dropped. And this is, you know, we do rides with our top provincial and national riders. It is literally because of that piece of advice. Like I will kill myself to stay on that wheel. And it's, it's this irrational hope that it will get easier in the future. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, which is almost not a bad piece of life advice, I guess, right? You just keep rolling along. Just and... hang on for dear life. So so there's that. So and I think that applies, you know, in mountain biking, if you can just bury yourself. My my one of my athletes that I work with, I've worked with him for a long time, a good friend John Barnes is a fantastic masters racer. He's raced for years and years and years, and he knows he is much better racer than I am, uh, tactically. And he, he said to me one time, he said, Peter, it's not hard to win. You just have to go harder for about 10 or 20 seconds. And then you go the same speed as those people for the rest of the race. Just for 10 or 20 seconds, you just have to go harder. And then you just have to go the same speed. And that's how you win. And I was like, I love it. That is that is pretty simple. I mean, it is not easy to do, but it is, it is simple. That's you know what, what he does. So he goes all in for 10 to 20 seconds. And then he goes the same speed. 
You know what I think has actually like ruined this for people and made people really nervous about this? It's actually watching races because announcers constantly talk about burning matches. And mm -hmm. typically when they talk about it, they're talking about it in a negative way. Like, right. oh, that person just burned a match. Like, is that going to come back and bite them? So now I think people are really scared of this idea of burning matches because you're like, oh my gosh, I only have so many matches in my matchbook. Sure. I'm going to argue it's more like a lighter. I, maybe I've said this on the podcast, but I've said it on a podcast that like the concept of burning matches actually doesn't make sense because in that scenario, you, matchbook has what, 20 matches in it? Like You're aware know. how many matches are in the matchbook. So you know you have 20 matches to burn. I think racing is much more like a cigarette lighter or just a lighter, sorry, not a cigarette lighter. Uh, it's like a lighter. You don't actually know how many times you get to you get to do it before you run out of fuel in it. Mm. Um, you can't tell. Matches, I think people start counting the matches that they're burning in their head, whether right. it's subconscious or they're actually thinking it through. And they think like, oh no, I only have so many matches. But really, you have no idea how many matches you have until you're actually in it. Yeah, and they try and represent this with now with power and different physiological measures of you know what is a match, what constitutes a match. And I think what they keep like finding though is that it's so psychological that like the amount of power that people can do. You know, you have people finishing two hundred milers sprinting into the finish when like the mile before they were on their hands and knees mm -hmm, throwing up mm -hmm. and like could barely move. Yeah, and the is that the Alex Hutchison book is endure. Yeah. Uh, it goes in a bit to that like mental side of where it makes, you know, physiologically, it makes no sense. And you, know, you once you see everyone's felt this right at the end of a, the last interval, you can always put in a dig, you can see the finish line, you can put in a dig, but then the middle laps or the middle intervals of your, your workout, you, you just feel like the world's going to end. And a lot of people drop out in that valley of despair or that valley of death or whatever you want to call it, the mid race slump. And, and I think experience, this is why we have to play the game is if you finish the race you realize oh every time i feel really good on the last two laps but i feel like crumb crumb i feel poor on the crummy was the uh, word you were looking for <laughs> you know and, and so you turn around that narrative where yeah nope i just keep going and i get through the slump and then i can see the finish line and i'm going to feel a lot better like just that mental we all have it we know when we can see the finish line we we will expend the energy our brain is smart it wants to conserve and i think you get better as you get better at the game you get better at, you know, convincing yourself that you can just keep pedaling and it hurts a lot, but you can keep pedaling and it'll be fine on the last lap. So again, this idea of the mental piece of, of the sport and then the game that is your sport, all of the, all, there's always tactics. There's always the mental and the mental piece is big too. And I think a lot of the mental piece comes back to being kind to ourselves and not beating ourselves up and beating ourselves before we actually get to the Right. Okay. So specifics to the heart rate. Can you just kind of talk about what you would put on a computer during a race? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, heart rate, let's get back. That is good. You've got us back on track. The heart rate then is, is I think we would use it maybe in a longer pacing, you know, situation. So again, we have to decide what long is, but long might be over say five hours or long for you even something where your finishing is going to be tough, right? We're not really sure about the finish and there's going to be less tactics as far as you know getting into a single track first or staying in a group as molly was talking about so in a grand fondo it might be five hours but you might have to go really hard if it starts with a climb uh to stay in a group and then that group might go you know five i want to put this in miles so we'll say you know a couple miles an hour faster than you would go on your own if you quote unquote paced but you know you you could expend a bunch of energy spend a match or two in the first 20 minutes and then you might sit with a group that's moving much faster for hours 
Yeah, exactly. So, so it depends on the context of the race. So all that to say that heart rate piece, it doesn't really lie, right? We know that at some point, you know, the, the, the strain on your body is such that you're going to have to, if you keep going at that pace, it'll back off. So if we use, probably we won't agree on what it is, but if, if you were at a hundred percent of your heart rate, you were just full maxed out. You got really amped up. You started a mountain bike race and you hit a hundred percent of your, your max heart rate. We would agree that at some point you're going to have to back off that strain, right? So if that was a Leadville 100 at altitude mountain bike race, 100 miles at altitude, also gets pretty hot, and you start with 20 minutes as hard as you can, you hit 90, 95, 100% of your max heart rate, that probably means you're going to have to back that heart rate and then uh, presumably the wattage and, and the effort and the speed will come back with that. Right. Okay. So... What you have to back up, again, we're going to disagree on that. But if we use the extremes, I think that makes sense. So the idea then is that at something like Leadville, you don't want to have to back off so much that you can't continue riding. So you probably want to pace and not start with a 20-minute time trial. You'd be surprised how many people do that. So what I usually use is somewhere in that sweet spotty, you know, top of tempo. That's probably a limit when we get into these long races. I, I use about 85%, but we always try and make it relevant to the person and what they've done in the past in the other games they've entered where we see maybe their average heart rate for the entire event, whether they paced well or not. And then that gives us an idea. I think a classic Steve Neal thing is that, uh, who was my mentor and a super smart guy. And he always sort of was like, you know, I think it's about 10 beats difference between the average and the max when it's a well-paced event. And And he said, you know, it probably doesn't matter if it's a three minute or if it's a like 30 hour you probably see something and I, there's going to be so many exceptions. Everybody's different, but it's funny that it, it, it's like that. And I'm not going to hold Steve. This was like 20 years ago. We talked about this, but I still sort of like that. So what I often do is what's the average heart rate for Molly did a 50 K uh, race say, what was the average heart rate? What's the limit she should use? Assuming that Molly had an issue. If Molly won, we don't do anything with this. If she's good, you don't add this if, if you don't need to, but if you blew up and lost you know, a bunch of time. And you can see this, especially in like a lapped race. If you blew up, you lost a bunch of time. What was the average in that race? Cause you finished it still. And then what we would find is that you hit a hundred percent of your max heart rate on the first lap. And then you had your average. And then what we would do in the next race is say in the first third or half of the race, don't go over 10, about 10 beats higher than the average of that race. So this is getting really minutia, but if you averaged 145 beats, then you'd say, okay, I'm going to try and stay under 155 beats for the first third. And then usually your feeling is pretty well calibrated once you've got a couple, a couple miles under your legs and that start line excitement's done. And then you just sort of keep going. And usually that works pretty well. But again, this is where playing the game, you start learning. And and most people who are endurance racers, they don't really need much of this. They know what it feels like when they're hitting because that's where your breathing gets elevated. That's where you start wanting to stand and smash as usually as you get into that thresholdy type range for mountain bike or for cycling, I should say. Yeah. I, I also find like the looking at the heart rate is tricky because I think there's sort of no good there's no good that's going to come from it in in my opinion anyway. If you if you look at it, if you look at heart rate or power and it's not what you want it to be, you're going to stress out and you're going to do something, 
that maybe isn't even like really along aligned with how you're feeling. You're going to either push harder because you're like, oh no, my power sucks or my heart rate's too low. But I feel like even if you're feeling totally fine before you looked down and saw this, you're going to either push harder or you're going to back way off, even if things felt okay. Or if things are actually looking good, I think that's even like as much of a problem because now you're like, oh, cool. I can push harder. I'm doing great. It could be. Um, It's also, there's a mindset out there of our like type A folks who are like, I'm not working hard enough. Yeah, exactly. And now I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now we have to put the, you're going to have to edit that out. Oh God. Uh, So, but that's literally, you know, I I almost want to use that for emphasis because like, that's the type of stuff we say to ourselves. We have a whole post called the things we say to ourselves and, you know, it's it's mean sometimes and so then the question is like why did you look at your heart rate if things were feeling okay you were doing fine you were racing sometimes you're winning then you look down and your heart rate's 85 percent instead of a hundred percent i don't know why it needs to be a hundred percent but it needs it needs your type a well because higher is better yeah and now you're the s word right that's what you are the S word. <laughs> right so we have to be careful that it's it's relevant the heart rate's relevant and a lot of times it's not when the, there's a game when there's tactics and so we want to make sure that it's something that's useful for us versus not hitting trees pacing what gear am i in am i eating myself or eating myself geez am i eating to fuel myself let's turn that there around and and you know Am I racing the race as best I can? What what decisions do I need to make in the because mo- it's all coming at you? You're you're having to like react to the game. I would say especially in mountain biking, if you are able to look down at your heart rate, uh, mm-hmm. you're probably not paying enough attention mm-hmm. to the the track. And some people will say, you know, they're trying to dissociate. Uh, I think is the word or or sorry, I think they're like trying to not think about the pain or the discomfort right so some people like it's almost like how we look at our phones so that we don't have the discomfort of being bored and so but i don't know that that's still a good idea (laughs) right Right? yeah sometimes you just have to sit with the boredom or the you know and that's why i think a lot of people endurance race is because they want to get into this like mindless just going down a gravel road in kansas for 100 miles (laughs) without thinking you know they're running away from and that's awesome do it but you don't need necessarily to you know be thinking about if your power is high enough while you're going down the gravel road in the race, right? We can analyze that later. My words are coming apart. We can analyze that later, uh, but we really want to think about what do we need during the race. All right, perfect. Um, What was our last point on there? Oh, uh, you actually have this very specific thing, and I'm not going to say that every single coach is going to agree with this, but I think think this is actually like a good philosophical one about uh how you're actually recording your race especially for cyclists who are doing kind of specific warm-ups i'd say running this is a little less common because i think running you'd maybe you wouldn't even turn on your your garment or whatever to gauge your warm-up you would just kind of jog like most runners i think it's pretty casual warm-up wise we're just kind of jogging a little bit to warm up and get ready to use the porta potty uh yeah put a because i can't go an episode without mentioning the porta potty apparently um but i think cycling there typically are more specific warm-ups involved and it depends i mean a longer race there probably isn't much right and i again i I almost go back that i think this concept so the concept is basically that you just let your device run and you can prep, use the lap function i always say the lap button but that misleads people sometimes so there's lap timers on your device, whatever it is. And, and the purpose of that is that you could do a warm up, press the lap button. So now you have a new lap time and a new lap distance and a new lap power and a new lap whatever, 
whatever you care about, and then you finish the event. And if you watch any event, you'll see the runners. Usually the runners are, as you say, is pressing the start button, but there's no reason they couldn't have had warm-up recorded, the time standing in the pen recorded, and then lap to start the race. And they all do it. And then when they cross the finish line, which I actually think is like a little excessive, but you'll see this, like they almost fall over some athletes, like trying to press the, the lap button or the stop button yeah, on just, the finish just line. Just watch the like finish line of a World Cup. It's really funny. And now they all collapse too. So it's like, do you, do you press the button or do you collapse or do you do the both and then collapse while you're pressing? I don't know. So you don't need to press. It doesn't need to be exact. Like some people think it's for the data analysis side that it needs to be these exact laps. Like that's easy to pull out. What I think this is actually important for is A, just to capture the day. B, I think it should simplify the day because you just start it and then you just do the race. You pay attention to the race. You don't look at it. And then you, at the end of the day, when you put your bike in the car or take your shoes off or whatever, you just turn off the watch at some point. Uh, and we can trim this file if you need to, for Strava, you need to eliminate your secret warm up or something. But I, I do think that it's nice to have that one file. And I, I the heart of this discussion for, for this podcast, I guess, is that I think that this makes the race day a lot like a workout, which should help nerves, I think, right? Because it on workout day, you warm up, you press the lap button to go, you start the quote unquote race, which is your intervals, you press the lap button to cool down. And then on race day, same thing. You've done this a million times, you know, 300 times before, the year before, big race comes, you just do the same thing. And so I, I don't know. I, I think there's a lot tied up in that that odd concept. It's an odd, like, sort of anal concept, but I think I think it's the way to do it. I think it does, yeah. It helps keep it sort of organized and orderly and all that. Uh, I will say I'm a big fan of uh, in running stuff. I will start my watch five minutes before because i am so bad for remembering to start when the whistle blows sure. i know some people are really good at it i'm terrible at it if you're the kind of person who occasionally finishes a race and are like ah crap i forgot to record just record early it's sure. fine and, and you know what else i was just gonna think you know this is definitely the the leadville unbound folks are gonna be like they want to record the distance accurately for the day so my contention would be that if you just use the lap distance it'd probably be okay but sometimes you accidentally press lap or something happens and and now it's like you're sort of confused because you did 5k before the race and now you like are miscalculating so i mean in that case it doesn't matter or or sorry you can just not have the warm-up and again i don't think you're warming up very much for these events anyhow but what i would probably suggest because i do see this happen a lot in these big races iron mans are bad for this because the bike you don't start on it the power meter that was so key to your your day uh you know or the heart rate monitor doesn't pair or or something is off on it and now you're in a pen with a bunch of people and it's not going to turn on and and depending on how you built this power or this heart rate into your pacing and day strategy now, like you're starting this big thing with something that you thought was going to be there. Now, I don't think you need either of those things to have a good day. But if you did think and you didn't start the file early when you left the house and use the lap function and then the device is paired, it's recording the power. Right? you can see how check. Good. OK, I'm good. I'm ready to roll. I go to the pen. The pairing is huge in bike stuff. And that's it's not half the time that <laughs> it doesn't work, but it happens a lot at these big races for whatever reason. I don't know why, but. 
uh, something just doesn't pair right or the, de- you know, check, de- check your batteries before you go. If any device experts are out there, I'm like very curious if it's just like all the Bluetooth, like all of the amp plus just like emitting in the air. It's just like confusing. It could be signals. when you get thousands of people together, I guess. But I mean, they should all be paired and shouldn't be looking for stuff. But who knows? Maybe like some are close enough. I, I don't know how that stuff works, but it, it happens <laughs> fairly frequently. Uh, but then again, you know, if you send 50 people to train, there's probably a device problem every day. And one of them anyhow. So yeah. So there that's that. It. Race if you're going to race. It's a big concept. We wanted to talk about it because it's something I say a lot. And sometimes, you know, I don't know if the, the concept is understood because there's so much that goes into it. You know, the preparing beforehand, the showing up fully, the mental piece, the game, the concept of the game, uh, the finishing and how the heart rate stuff is sort of wrapped up in that. Do you use it? Do you don't? So I think that those were the main topics we yeah, covered. Yeah, for sure. And I think, frankly, this year it's it's bigger than ever just because we haven't had racing for a couple of years for some of us. Like, I, that was my first start line in January in three years. Sure, sure. Uh, so I think, you know, it is kind of this revisiting what it means to actually race. Uh, and, and, you know, we probably need to acknowledge, too, that uh, some of our listeners, some of the people we're working with, uh, have either really upped their training and are trying racing, you know, at a new level or, you know, they've upgraded a category or, or they've never raced in some. So that's why some of these concepts, uh, you know, I think are worth revisiting because some of us, it's been a while. Uh, some of us are in new categories. Some of us have never raced. So it's, it's the basics, but again, it's some of this like minutia of the, the lap button. It, how, what does that spiral out to? Right. We don't know. We don't yeah. know. Awesome. Well, uh, let's let's wrap up there. And if you want to check out those training plans, either for the three months to an XCO mountain bike race, that's your your A race of the season, or the Leadville 100, three months out to that, uh, you can find them over on the show notes or just over at consummateathlete.com. And keep questions coming, everybody. It's it's really fun to chat through some of these topics. I know tons of people are, are racing and riding and ramping up right now. So yeah, head us up over at consummateathlete.com. We have a contact form or just at consummateathlete over on Instagram. Slide into our DMs. And I think if you know anything that's helpful or you like this, we always appreciate shares on Instagram. So you can either, you know, even just DM us and say you enjoyed it or, you know, you can always regram, regram, restory. Yeah, regram, restory, and of course, rate and review. That's super, super, super helpful. It's what got me a dachshund, so you know it works. Um, All right, with that said, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Get out there and crush it. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed this or any of our past episodes, do us a solid and leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. And check out our book, Becoming a Consummate Athlete, over at consummateathlete.com. Questions or comments? Find us over on Instagram at consummateathlete, and we will see you next week.